Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you again here on YouTube and Facebook. We're so glad that you've joined us for our online worship service. Today, we're going to continue to remember our Advent season. Last week, we began Advent, which is, of course, the season that kicks off the liturgical calendar in the Christian tradition. This portion of the Christian calendar is very intentionally set up so that our actual days and celebrations and feasts and holidays from Advent all the way through Pentecost, the calendar itself tells the story of the gospel. And the story of the gospel that we are in during the Advent season is the story of waiting. It's the story of preparation. Advent, of course, literally means preparation. It means that we are preparing for the good things that God is bringing, the good things that God has promised. And we do that by revisiting the story of Christ's coming and how ancient Hebrews were waiting in anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. Today, we're going to look again at Luke chapter 1. Last week, we visited the story of Zechariah. Today, we're going to look at Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, and her part of that story before we do, would you just take a moment to center your hearts and minds with me as we pray together. God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to come before you and to come before these passages of Scripture. We ask that you would shine a light of understanding on our hearts today, that we would see these passages, that we would hear this story in a fresh new way, and that you would speak to us, that you would help us to come to a place of clarity about our role in your kingdom and our place in the world that you have put us in, how you have uniquely gifted and called each of us to be a part of your good work and grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to take a look again at Luke chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5 all the way through verse 23. And this week, we're going to pick up on the second half of that story, which is the second half of the story, but it's a much shorter version of the story. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verses 24. And we only have two verses today, verses 24 and 25. Those two verses tell Elizabeth's side of this story. If you remember from last week, when we talked about Zechariah going into the temple, Zechariah having a vision of the angel Gabriel, who told Zechariah, who was aged, he and his wife were getting on in years and were suffering from the shame and the disgrace of not being able to have children. The angel Gabriel promised Zechariah that their suffering was over, that Elizabeth would conceive a child. Zechariah, of course, wanted proof of that. And in response, I said that the angel Gabriel gave Zechariah a gift, and that gift was silence, the ability to remain silent for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And now we turn to Elizabeth's side of the story, which is a little bit different, but still contains, I think, something surprising. So look with me if you have your Bible, or we'll put the words right up on the screen. Starting in verse 24, it says this, After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. And she said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. 
the disgrace I have endured among my people. And again, if you remember from last week, I said that this would have been a great source of shame for Elizabeth and Zachariah, that they couldn't have children in a society that is really dependent on families producing children and as many children as possible. These were difficult times on the earth. And having a large family was a way of building security for your family, a way of building longevity for your tribe. It really was a matter of survival. And so these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of whom come from priestly families, these two people are suffering the very public judgment and shame of not being able to extend their lineage. But here... Elizabeth says that because of this, because of this conception, because of this pregnancy, that the Lord has looked favorably on her and taken away the disgrace she endured among her people. And so this this fact, this conceiving, this pregnancy that Elizabeth has, we see right out of the gate that this is her deliverance, that the pregnancy itself marks the end of her shame, the end of that period when she is judged by others and carries this burden of being looked upon unfavorably by God. I think that phrase is really telling that for Elizabeth, she really felt that her inability to conceive a child was somehow a reflection of God's displeasure with her, that God didn't approve of her, that God didn't like her, that she was in some way cursed. And so now this hope-sick, heart-sick person suddenly experiences fulfillment. She suddenly experiences the reality of a long, dormant hope, something that she believed at this point would never happen. Suddenly she's experiencing the goodness of that for the first time in her life. She gets to conceive. And in this sense, I think one of the things we see here is that Elizabeth really experiences what it's like for her as a person to be made whole. Now, when I say that, I don't want to give the impression that anybody who can't have children is unable to bear children is somehow not a whole person. But that is definitely what the social outlook of Elizabeth and Zachariah's time was. They really saw people who weren't able to produce children as people who were somehow broken, somehow cursed by God, somehow not quite fully human. That is, of course, a cruel perspective. And I would say today that we have come a long way in recognizing that just because somebody can't bear children naturally doesn't mean that there is something wrong with them. Just because somebody doesn't want to have children doesn't mean that there is something wrong with them. But for Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were laboring under the very public shame of not being able to do these things. And so for Elizabeth, this experience of suddenly becoming pregnant at an older age is is not just a deliverance from that public judgment and that public shame. It's also something a bit more, I think, powerful than that. It's also a sense of vindication, a sense that in the eyes of everybody around her, that she is not just not cursed, not just looked at favorably by God, but vindicated in the eyes of everybody in her community. So for her, this must have felt very much like a sense of restoration into wholeness as a person. 
And that is, of course, what peace means, especially the ancient Hebrew understanding of shalom that we tend to translate in English as peace doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. Rather, shalom and the idea of shalom, the idea of biblical peace, means a kind of wholeness, a kind of restoration of things that were incomplete or things that had been broken, a place of full integrity where all of humanity and all of creation are made into what they were always meant to be, a sense of completeness. And so for Elizabeth, she is experiencing peace in the truest sense of the word because She has been restored, not just physically in her ability to conceive of a child, but she has been restored socially and psychologically into her community and has been vindicated by God because of this. But I find it really interesting that right in the middle of this passage, verse 24 and 25, right at the end of verse 24, in fact, we see this. It says, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months, she remained in seclusion. It doesn't explain why Elizabeth goes into seclusion. But you know, last week I said that something curious happened to Zechariah, that Zechariah was rendered mute by the angel Gabriel. And I said that that wasn't a punishment, that Zechariah had been given a gift by Gabriel, the gift of silence. And I talked a little bit last week about the spiritual discipline of being intentionally silent. And here, I think it's interesting that we see the, the, the spiritual discipline that most often accompanies silence is the spiritual discipline of solitude. And just as Zachariah is given the gift of silence, so his wife, Elizabeth, apparently is given the gift of solitude. That for five months, she is able to go and be by herself while she is is carrying this child while this baby is developing inside of her. For five months, she experiences seclusion away from the community that judged her and shamed her and excluded her. And again, to me, this doesn't seem like a punishment of any kind. Instead, it seems like an amazing gift. What Elizabeth needed most at that time in her life was the opportunity to go away from the people who had harmed her, to go away from the people who had judged her and hurt her and excluded her, and find time to be alone and to be with herself and to be with the God who has fulfilled this promise. This reminds me that this practice of being alone, this practice of seclusion, this sort of spiritual story of going off into the wilderness by yourself is built into the Jewish and Christian narrative all over Scripture. Elizabeth's own son, John, grows up later, we see in the Gospels, and becomes a kind of wild man who lives in the wilderness. So John himself, Elizabeth's own son, becomes somebody who lives in seclusion, who lives by himself. And of course, Jesus, John's cousin, later practices seclusion when he goes off into the wilderness for 40 days and wrestles with the devil. And of course, in the Old Testament, we see that as a tribe, that as a nation, as a people, 
that the Israelites go into the wilderness for 40 years. This is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. And all the religious traditions of the world really have this kind of narrative at some point in their story. That seclusion and solitude and time in the wilderness is integral to our spiritual growth and development. That there is something about intentionally being alone, about separating ourselves from community, that provides us with the opportunity to heal by giving us the distance that we need. It's much like pregnancy in a sense. I think the fact that this seclusion is told within the context of a story about pregnancy is entirely intentional. Because I think one thing that we see throughout these narratives is that God's promise comes as a kind of conception. But that promise needs time to gestate. That promise needs time to grow and develop before it's ready to be birthed. And when a woman is carrying a child and that child is gestating and growing and developing inside of her, it is very much a solitary experience. That is not something that anybody else can do for her. So even when she's surrounded by friends and family and community who are supportive, pregnancy itself is very much a lonely and solitary act. There is nothing that you can do to grow that child for her. And so again, I think it's fascinating that in the midst of this story of vindication, the story of redemption, the story of a fulfilled promise, we find this experience of seclusion, of isolation, of solitude, where Elizabeth can find the healing that she needs. I love this quote by Dallas Willard, who writes a lot about the spiritual disciplines and about the discipline of solitude. Dallas Willard says this. He says, in solitude, we find psychic distance, the perspective from which we can see in the light of eternity, the created things that trap, worry, and oppress us. And I love that quote because I think it captures very well what the practice of solitude can do for us. In our regular lives, we have a tendency to be so caught up in the things that we surround ourselves with, so caught up in maintaining our little kingdoms, so caught up in the drama of our relationships, our families, our friends, our workplaces, so caught up in the anxieties of our dreams and our goals or, or the pressure to succeed, so caught up in all of these things that can be good, that we become enslaved and oppressed by them. And it's this practice of solitude and seclusion where we can be alone, not only with ourselves, but alone with God, that we discover the existence of our own soul, and where we discover that our wholeness, our peace, our shalom doesn't depend on any of those things. It doesn't depend on any of those people. It depends instead on our connection to a God that gives us life and goodness and grace and love. And so in this place of solitude, it's not just the pregnancy that delivers Elizabeth. It's not just this child that's coming that vindicates her. Instead, it's the solitude itself 
that liberates her from the oppression and the demons that come along from other people's judgment and shame and oppression. Today, what I want to do is invite you to consider how you could practice that kind of solitude in your life. Where can you find time and space to be alone and silent, away from the oppressive forces of all the good things that you have surrounded yourself with? Time and space to connect with the goodness and the grace and the love of God so that you can be reminded that God is growing good things in you no matter how long it takes. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come before uh, these passages of Scripture. We thank you again for this season of Advent when we can give ourselves to learning how to wait, to prepare, and to be ready when you bring good things into our lives. We pray that you would give us the courage to walk in faith uh, with you and with each other and with our ancestors like Zechariah and Elizabeth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, what's up? It's Kaya. Um, welcome back to the Oceanside Sanctuary. Before you head off today, I have a couple quick announcements for you. If you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, hi, hello, welcome. We are so excited to have you here this morning, whether you are watching on YouTube or are here in person on Zoom. Um, if you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, we would love to get to know you and connect with you. Simply just visit our website or scan the QR code and fill out the contact information. Starting on December 16th, we are going to start live streaming our services. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Okay. Um, since the pandemic started, we've faithfully produced a pre-recorded Sunday morning service at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook. Um, now that we're back in person, we have realized it's time to start live streaming our in-person Sunday gatherings. Um, so it's like you're going to be there, but from the safety of your couch, because we all know that you guys love your couch. I mean, I love my couch. So I just, I know that you guys love your couch. So it's going to be great. So stay tuned. Um, and it's just gonna get better from here. On December 24th at 7 p.m., we have our Christmas Eve service. I hope you guys know that I'm super excited for Christmas season. Christmas season, I love Christmas and ugh, the lights and it doesn't snow here, but if it did, I would be running and playing in that snow. And of course, my favorite thing about Christmas time is going to Christmas Eve church service. Like, ugh, nothing gets better than Christmas Eve church service. So remember that on December 24th, Christmas Eve, um, at 7 p.m., we are um, gonna have our Christmas Eve service, and we're gonna celebrate by singing Christmas carols and lighting candles to mark the beginning of the Christmas season. On Sunday, December 26th at 11 a.m., which is a church service, but not just any church service, it's Christmas Sunday pajama church service. You know what that means? It means that you're gonna wear your Christmas pajamas to church. That means if you are on watching this on YouTube or Facebook, but it's gonna be live by then. If you are watching it live from the comfort of your couch, I hope you're gonna be wearing your Christmas pajamas because I'm coming in that Christmas onesie. I don't have it yet, but I will buy it. And you guys are gonna see me in that Christmas onesie. Lastly, our year-end annual fun drive has begun. Every December, we have a year-end annual fun drive um, to raise almost 20% of our total annual funding. So if you can please consider making an extra 
extra charitable gift to the Oceanside Sanctuary by December 31st. Um, our goal this year is 25000 So far, we've already raised $6,540. So only $18,450 to go, yes! So, um, if you would like to donate to that, uh, simply visit our website or scan the QR code. And that's gonna be all the announcements that I have for you today. These are a little extra long announcements because I got really excited over the Christmas church service and the Christmas pajama service. Um, but yeah, I know, I'm excited. But I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your Sunday and a wonderful rest of your week. Bye.